Well, I'm really excited that we get to wrap up this Turning Hearts series together. And not only that, we get to wrap up a whole year, in fact, a whole decade, all of us here on a family Sunday, no less. And so we have parents, grandparents, children, everybody here under, in this one room. It's one of my favorite things that we do here at Real Hope. And so I'm so glad that you decided to be here with us. Um, and while these are one of my favorite Sundays, they also present kind of a unique challenge uh, to me or to anybody else who's teaching up here, because as you walk on the stage, you kind of have to ask yourself, how am I going to speak to everyone in this room? What is something that applies to all of us together? And indeed, many of y'all have probably walked into church asking yourself a similar question. How, how am I going to apply what I've heard today? How does this message matter to me? And so we are all very unique people. We all have very different lives, different backstories, different circumstances, and different needs, each and every one of us. But the wonderful thing about everybody sitting in this room is that we're all here because of the same person, and that is Jesus. We all have been invited to become a part of this one beautiful, diverse family through the love of our God who has brought us from death into life and invited us and welcomed us to be his sons and daughters. And in that family, we are each uniquely loved by our Father. We are each communally saved by Jesus, and we are all given the chance to participate in this mission that God has for the earth. In fact, it is the mission that Real Hope has decided to adopt, and it's this, is that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to transform lives. It's not something that each and every one of us has to invent for ourselves or figure out what we're supposed to be about. We get to together look to Jesus as our Savior and the example that he leaves for all of us to follow as brothers and sisters. And so here, at the end of Turning Hearts, at the end of 2019 and the 2010s, all of us, I'm assuming, wearing the socks we got for Christmas Day. What a blessing we are going to discuss how each and every single person here fits into the mission that God has given to us. And so in order to discover that, would you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. If you are unfamiliar with where the book of Luke might be, um, here's kind of a list of all the books in the Bible. It is early on in what is the New Testament. So if you look at your table of contents, you can find it's the third name under New Testament. Find what page that is and flip over there with us. Before we read, I want to give a little bit of backstory on what is contained in this chapter and kind of where we're entering this story. So the book of Luke is one of the Gospels, meaning that it carries the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry here on the earth. It's a retelling of Jesus since he was born to the point of his death and his resurrection. And at this point here, the story takes place shortly after Jesus' birth. This is actually the same chapter in which Jesus was born. And so at this point in the story, he's about 40 days old, and Jesus and his parents have now traveled to Jerusalem to the temple for a ritual dedication. It's like a baby dedication in the first century. And if you were with us Christmas Eve, you'll remember, but if you were not with us uh, on Christmas Eve, we talked about their time at the temple and how when they went to go get Jesus dedicated and consecrated before God, they encountered a man named Simeon. He's a man who, like many in Israel, had been praying that the Messiah would come in their lifetime. The rescuer of God's people would come and save them. And so when Simeon sees Jesus, 
And he realizes that this is the Savior of the world. He rejoices and he speaks many magnificent things to Jesus and his parents about how he is going to be a light for the world and a hope for all mankind and that no heart will go unchanged by him. And now, here in Luke Luke chapter 2, we get to see another encounter at the temple in Jerusalem And we will discover how it should affect our lives in Jesus together. So read with me in Luke 2, beginning in verse 36. If you have a highlighter on your table, I would invite you to get that out. We're going to interact uh, with this passage as we go today. Verse 36 reads like this. It says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had been with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. How like that? She was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, and highlight this, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. Highlight that. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, three verses, we get a lot of information. So let's unpack this. Let's talk about this woman, Anna. It says that she was married for seven years, and then her husband passed away. And since that point, she has remained in the temple, which is where we find her in the story. And, and when it says she remains in the temple, there are lodgings in and around the temple. So she probably dwelt in the vicinity of the temple of Jerusalem. But night and day, you could find Anna praying and worshiping and fasting before God. And much like with the story of Simeon, she was overjoyed upon seeing her Savior in the flesh. Because like Simeon and like so many for centuries, she had been praying that God would send the Savior. God would send the Messiah. And so she is overjoyed when she sees Jesus there in person. But what we need to ask ourselves is this. Why did God put Anna in the Bible? Why is this recorded and what can we learn from her story? Well, to answer that, let's try to understand her life story a bit more. You see, back in those days, um, it would be customary for a woman to be married fairly early on. Maybe age 20, 21 at the oldest. And so... When it says she was married with him for seven years and then he passed away, she would be about my age when she became a widow, about 27 years old at the most. And at that point, it would be customary for a woman to remarry as quickly as possible so that she could have a husband to protect, to provide, and so that she could have a family still after the loss of her first husband. Not only that, but back in those days, Women, particularly unmarried women, did not have a whole lot of credibility in society. And so it would have been in her best interest to commit all her efforts to getting remarried so that she could have that security and that sense of social status within her community. However, unlike that, Anna decided to spend the next near 60 years not remarrying, Not seeking stability, but seeking to serve God. Seeking to worship him night and day, it says. She worshiped him. And so she's here dedicating her life to seeking after God and to serving him. 
not worried about chasing after a social status or some self-made stability because her life was saying, look, I realize that I've experienced loss, but God is the top priority to me. In spite of what she had experienced and the loss of her husband, she is still so focused on God that that is going to be the one thing that she makes herself about for the rest of her life. And so she spends decades praying that God would send the Messiah and seeking after him with all of her heart. And after God answered those prayers by showing her Jesus in the flesh, her immediate response is to praise him and then to go tell everyone about him, everyone who had been looking for this hope from God. As soon as she experienced it, she shared it. You see, before Jesus could even say a word, much less speak a word about himself, Anna is here making Jesus known, making his presence known, and the hope and salvation that he is going to bring. And you think about it, if she's been in the temple for some 60 years now, if you've gone to the temple at any point in there, you've probably seen Anna. You've probably seen her fasting and praying. You have heard her prayers, and you probably know her story. And so now at this point, her life story has become a part of a testimony because anybody who's come to the temple and known what she's praying for and known what she's experienced is now getting to see her overjoyed and speaking about the hope in this child that will be the salvation for many, this God-given hope that she has experienced. So what do we learn from Anna? We learn first and foremost this, is that no matter how much we have lived, we still have a part and a purpose in the mission of God. No matter how much we have lived, we still have a place in his work here in the world. Like I said, I'm 27 years old, and so many people here might scoff when I say, it's hard getting old. (laughs) I told you so. Because something that I have experienced and observed is that the older we get, the more his life progresses, I think there's kind of a subtle fear that sticks up that what if I'm not really of use anymore? Because this world is getting more and more complicated. It's harder and harder for me to relate to a changing times. Not not to say anything of the younger people that are coming up after us. And also just the energy and the sense of utility and ideals, it just kind of wears down over time. And so I think for many of us, as time passes on, we wonder, am I still good for anything else? Or have I kind of reached my expiration date? Is the milk going bad on my usefulness to God? Well, to respond to that, here is Anna, who has lived a lot, 84, and has lived through a lot, being widowed and never remarrying. But she is still giving her everything in worship and service to God. She isn't stopped by her age. She isn't stopped by anything that has happened to her in her experience or a lack of social status or stability. She is called a prophet, not because she has some high rank in society or because she has some miraculous powers, but because she has the word of God and has dedicated herself to spreading the message of God to those around her. See, God saw Anna not as somebody who was damaged goods or was past her prime, but as somebody who was willing to join in the mission. And he is able to use that to spread hope to many people, to so many people who are waiting and hoping for a savior. And he's using her now to show us that neither the length of our journey nor the obstacles along the way could ever disqualify us 
from carrying out that same gospel and that same message and purpose in our lives. As long as we have breath in our lungs and faith in our God, we have a purpose in this family and everything we need in order to make God our top priority and to follow him in his mission to transform lives and turn hearts toward him. So let's move on to this next story in the chapter. It's a really unique story. I like it a whole lot. And it's actually unique throughout the whole scripture in that it is the only part of the Bible that talks about Jesus' life as a kid. He's a 12-year-old at this point. So we're going to jump ahead 12 years in the future, and we find ourselves back again at the temple in Jerusalem. And here we get a whole other perspective about our place in the family and the mission of God, now through the lenses of a 12-year-old boy. So let's jump ahead a couple verses, still in Luke chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 41, and we'll read through. It says this, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him, highlight this, among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, and I would highlight the rest of the sentence, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed. I would highlight that too. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. That translates to overjoyed and amazed. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know, highlight the rest of this, I had to be in my father's house. They did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and, highlight this, was obedient to them. He was obedient to them. But, and this is the last thing to highlight, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mother treasured all these things in her heart. So, let's look at the story, because this is kind of a crazy story, and probably not anything we would want happen in our lives with our families right now. See, Jesus traveled every single year with his family to Jerusalem to observe Passover. It was about an eight-day festival and feast and religious ceremony, and then they would make the multiple days travel back to their hometown in Nazareth. But this year... Jesus decided to stay behind at the temple even after his family begins to return home. Now, before we sit and judge Mary and Joseph, Jesus is like, wow, parents of the year, you know, forgot your firstborn son, did you? Before we do that, I'll just go ahead and give a little context. Usually, it would be a big old caravan of people that would travel together as a community. Like we highlighted, they traveled with relatives and they traveled with family friends. So there's usually a long group of people all traveling together. So it's easy to kind of assume he's with one of the other relatives, with one of the friends. He's amongst the crowd. But a day into travel, they realize. So they wheel back around, travel for another day, and search for him another day. And on the third day, they find him there in the temple right where they left him. And when they ask him why he did this, his answer to them was that he had to be in his father's house. Uh, some translations of this actually say, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? 
Now, real quick, let me talk to the young people in the room. We also highlighted that Jesus was obedient to his parents after they returned back. So this is not your free license to run away from home or to act crazy, saying that God told you so. You honor your father and mother. That's in the Bible too. But Jesus is saying, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be about my father's business. And what can we learn from this? Well, again, I talk to anybody who feels kind of in the younger margin in this audience. It's this, that you don't have to wait for God to matter to you. You don't have to wait until you're older before you start having a part and a purpose in this mission that God has for all of us. See, Jesus here at the age of 12 is kind of the opposite pendulum swing of Anna at 84. Just like she wasn't too old, no one in this room who trusts in God is too young to be used in his mission, to have a voice, to share the hope of God, and to learn more about him in your own life. Jesus says, where else would I be? God matters to me the most, so of course I'm going to be doing what I can, everything I can, to know him more and to learn more about him. And even as a young man, Jesus is ministering to people and astonishing people with the way that he is desiring to learn about God, the questions that he's asking, and the things that he is saying. He's even teaching the teachers who are far older than him. So even though his role and his place and his age was different from Anna's, it was no less important. It was no less meaningful to the overall scope of what God had desired to do. And I get it, young people. You may scoff too, but I was a kid too once. And I understand it's a tough world out there. For kids and teenagers today, it is very, very different even than when I was a kid 10 years ago. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be discouraged and feel small with everything that goes on in our lives and in the world around us. And there can be such a pressure to play it safe, to go with the flow, or to tell yourself, I'm going to wait until I'm older and this stuff really starts to get important. Then I'm going to start caring about God. And you know, we, we can busy ourselves with so many things at any age. I remember being young and feeling like I need to fill myself with time with my friends. I need to focus 100% on doing well in school so I have all the opportunities so that when I'm an adult, the world can be whatever I want it to be. And then I can choose with all my free time to follow God. Any adult can tell you how well that works out. But see, the thing is, this is the proof right here. You don't have to wait until you have it all together. That friendships and work and school and relationships, these can all be good things. God is not saying, ignore your family, ignore your friends. But he's saying, look, we have a father in heaven who has given us everything, who's given us our lives and has given us a purpose that I can start living in right now. I don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. The Bible says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're younger. You can still set an example with the way you follow God. And so I encourage you, don't tell yourself you have to wait until you're older. Don't tell yourself, I'm not qualified yet. I'm not mature enough or smart enough or good enough yet. You have a voice. And if you trust in God, he can use you to use that voice to tell other people the good news of Jesus and the hope that he has given to all of us.
It doesn't just become important later. It's important right now. We all know someone who needs to be encouraged by the word of God, by Jesus and a God who loves them. And you know what? Maybe you're the one who needs to hear it. Maybe any one of us at any age is the one who needs to be comforted by the gospel and the message of Jesus. I know I have. Being a teenager, I wrestled with a lot of lows in life, with a lot of bouts of depression and feelings of worthlessness and anxieties of what do I do? Who is here to comfort me? And it's in these moments where I was in solitude with God that he was able to speak and comfort me and let me know that, Caleb, you're not unimportant just because you're young. I see you and I care about you and I want you to know that you have a father in heaven who loves you and a savior who died for you to let you know that you matter and you have a purpose in this world. So where better could we go than to a father who cares about us, who invites us to ask questions and to listen and learn about him, just like Jesus did here in this passage. And now I kind of want to speak real quickly to all of us in the middle. You know, there may be a couple 12-year-olds in the room. There may be some 84-year-olds in the room. But most of us kind of fall somewhere in this wide margin in between. You know, we have young adults. We have even younger kids. We have people who are married, people with kids, young families. You see, the thing is, we are not forgotten in this this equation either. God is showing us these two kind of opposite extremes to show you that there's not some start point around here, an end point. There's not a prime time slot for our mission in God. It is the whole scope of our lives in Jesus. Wherever you are, you fit in that mission. And God has given you exactly what you need and the time that it will take in order to commit yourself to him here and now. You see, first I want to talk to the parents in the room. You see, Jesus' parents, like we said, like it says in here, they didn't really understand everything that he was saying when he said, I had to be in my father's house. They didn't quite get the full scope of it yet because he was 12 and his ministry didn't start in earnest until he was around 30 or so. But see, the thing is, even though they didn't quite understand, it says Mary did treasure what, what Jesus said and what had happened in her heart. That word treasuring means that she kind of held on to it as a sweet memory, knowing that this is going to be something that's going to matter to me later. I'm going to remember this moment for the rest of my life. She protected this experience in the words of her son. Because even though she didn't quite understand what was going on, she did know who her son was. And moreover, she knew whose her son was. She knew that he was the son of God. She was his child. That Jesus was his child that he was looking after and he had a purpose for. And so parents, to help your children grow in their faith, I would encourage you to treasure this in your heart as well. That your children, first and foremost, are God's. They're a miraculous gift from God that he has given and entrusted you with to love and to raise in all of his ways. And they are in his hands. You remember the passage that this whole series is named after, Turning Hearts, comes from a verse talking about John the Baptist and how he is sent and his message will turn the hearts of parents to their children. And so we ought to be encouraged to have our hearts turned towards this next generation, towards the young people that are going to come up as the world changers and the sons and daughters of God here and now and for the rest of their lives. 
And that starts by realizing that God cares for these children, these young ones, more than you ever could. I know that's so hard to grasp. I don't even grasp it yet. I'm not a parent. But I know that God has treasured us since before we were even a thought in our parents' minds. And God has greater plans and greater purposes for us than we or our parents or you could ever have for your children. And one of the greatest ways that you can encourage your children in their faith and in the purposes that God has for them is to put your faith on display for them, to walk in the purpose that God has for you. That is how we can have our hearts turned towards our children is like Jesus, like Anna, be a living example of someone who is sold out in their faith to God so that your parents can look at, your children can look at you and say, wow, God truly is the most important thing in their lives. Look at the way they dedicate themselves to him, the way they are committed to asking questions and growing in their faith, even though they're older than I am. And sharing the message of God, even though grown-ups are very busy people. I know that. I know that 100%. We see the younger people should be looking at us adults and everyone who's, you know, more experienced in different milestones of life than I am, but looking at each and every one of us loving the least of these, spreading the message of hope that we have in Jesus, and worshiping Him inside and outside of our homes and our church gatherings with all our hearts. We want to give them the example so that they can exceed our expectations, so that they can be inspired to grow even beyond what we are committed to doing here and now. And it can be scary It takes trust, it takes surrender, it takes open-handedness to God because there's such a temptation in this world and in our lives to make our, our whole focus about building a solid foundation, a solid financial or relational stability. We want to give our children everything. We want to give our families as much security and opportunities for success as we possibly can. And so I'm saying it is not a bad thing to be in the service of your children, of your partners, of your family. But God is saying this, look, these are good things and they are a part of the mission, but they in themselves are not the mission because our families are not God. God is God. And he's given us our families as a way of worshiping him and entrusting him with all that we have in this life. Author and uh, show host Jamie Ivey puts it this way. It says, we cannot teach our kids to give their lives away for the gospel when all they see is us giving our lives away for them. We should set an example not to say that security and stability in this world is top priority while they are important things. I'm not knocking it. But saying that our service to God, a father who loves us personally and cares for us perfectly, If he is who he says he is, then there should not be a risk or fear of consequence in following after him, knowing that he has supplied our needs even to this day, and he will continue to do so every day moving forward. If we trust that he has a hold on us, he has a hold on our younger generation, and that he is preserving us like he did Anna so that she could see her Savior, and protecting us like he did for Jesus three days alone in Jerusalem so that he could learn and grow in in his faith. 
And we know that he will do the exact same for each and every one of us. Stewarding us, taking care of us as we give ourselves over to him. And so God is saying this for the old, the young, the parents. He also says it to the people who, who may not have kids, people who are not married or in a relationship at this point. I want you to know God does not look at you as lesser than. There's not a hierarchy of milestones. Every time we pray to Jesus, we're praying to a single adult who never had kids. And so that is saying, look, you're not worth any less in the family of God. In the same way, you are not less useful or less meaningful. Your part is not any smaller than anyone else's. We all fit within these opposite extremes that we all have the message of God in our hearts if we have trusted in his gospel. If your faith is in him, then the spirit of God is at work in you, giving you all that you need to be qualified and equipped for the mission and to speak to whoever God has placed in your path. Whether it's at school, at home, at work, at whatever activities we go about, we are face to face with people who need the hope of Jesus in their lives and God has given it to us so that we get to share it with them. And he can and will use you to transform those lives and to turn people's hearts to him as we carry the gospel around with us. And look, I know it is intimidating This feels like a big call. And it's difficult when we are not completely confident that we have all the answers and we have all our facts straight and we have all our ducks in a row so that we can feel safe giving ourselves over to God. But to that, I would say, look at Jesus. And I know what you're saying. As soon as I say it, my first thought is, well, he's kind of Jesus though, right? He's not quite like you and me. He's different, yeah? But to that, Even as I wrestle with that, I hear God saying, look, just a few days ago, we celebrated Christmas. And what is one of the greatest miracles of Christmas is that Jesus came to earth, not with some memory card installed with all the power and wisdom he would ever need. He came to earth as a baby. He started with a clean slate like you and I did. He had to learn to hold his head up straight. He had to learn how to walk and talk. The one who spoke the universe into creation had to learn to speak all over again. And just like you and me, like we highlighted before, he had relatives. He had a mom and a dad. He had siblings. He had aunts and uncles. He had people that he saw at the temple, at church, at school. He had childhood friends. He probably had some people that would have called him childhood enemies. He lived a life like you and I would Not so that we would see the unattainable, but we could see an example to follow in. He wasn't born perfect and complete with everything he had. Even in his 30s, Jesus is saying, look, I don't speak anything that I'm making up. Everything I have to tell you was told to me by the Father God. And when we read this about Jesus at age 12, being in the temple, asking questions and listening, he wasn't pretending to learn. He wasn't doing this because it's what we feeble humans would see as learning. It's because he had to grow too. Let's read this. Let's read how both Anna's story and Jesus' stories end in these passages. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52. They'll both be on the screen together. Starts this way. It says, and the child grew. Highlight that. The child grew. 
and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And then jump over to verse 52 and it says, and highlight this, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Saying the savior of the world is setting an example of learning, of growing. Even though he never did anything wrong and he was in perfect harmony with the father, he still had things to grow in. He had things to learn. He had to develop in his wisdom so that he could follow and speak as God had tasked him to. And the same mission that Jesus carried out is the mission that we are carrying out to this day. And a part of that is to dedicate ourselves to growing in our faith and in our wisdom and in our walk with God. Because if we wait until we're smart enough or mature enough, influential enough or good enough, we will never start at all. It is the thing that we have to give over to God and trust that He will supply us with the words to speak and the ways to live and how we can surrender ourselves to Him. Because the greatest tragedy in all this would be telling yourself, my time to follow God is somewhere in the future. Or my time where I could follow God was somewhere in the past. God doesn't want us to walk in this way. He has so much better in store for you. To be a part of his mission here on the earth now. To know that you are given purpose and voice. Because you are given the gospel here and now. You don't have to put God on hold for everything to come together. Or you don't have to reminisce about a time when it was all there. You can grow like Jesus did, trusting God knows you and knows exactly how to care for you and train you up in his mission. If I could sum up the whole of what I, I, I want us to take home from this, it would be in the prayer that Jesus prays in Matthew chapter six, just one verse out of it. It'll be on the screen. It says this, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, our prayer and our priority should be that we would see the work of God, the will of God, carried out here on the earth. And if we have placed our trust in Him and we have His word, then we get to be the ones to take part in that work, to carry it out and to spread the word of God and the work of God here in our lives around us. And you may have noticed in that prayer, Jesus also says, ask for God's kingdom to come. And maybe you've grown up hearing that phrase about the kingdom of God, or maybe this is kind of new to you, uh, and you're unfamiliar with what that means. Well, just to kind of give a tease out there, next week we're actually starting uh, a January series. It's called Kingdom Life, where we really unpack and demystify more and more of what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God. We're going to hear it out of his own mouth so that we can understand what God's kingdom is and what our place in it is. But for now, suffice it to say that as a part of the ones that God has welcomed into his family, the ones that he has invited to know him and to make him known, we get to know that we are loved by him, we are wanted by him, And there's an open invitation to follow him, bringing the hope of Jesus to the world around us. It's an invitation that is open here and now. We don't have to wait for some activation date. And it's an invitation that will never expire, no matter how long we live 
and what we go through, exactly as you are today, is the way that God invites you to grow, to be transformed, and to be used by him to spreading the message of the gospel. And the more we learn about him, the more we put him first in our hearts, the more he will use us to spread that love and to bring many more around us into salvation and into this family of faith that we get to be in now and forever. That is exactly how we get to be a part of turning hearts towards God and exactly how we can join Jesus on his mission to transform lives. So that invitation is open to each and every one of us today. And God is saying, look, you don't have to wait. You don't even have to wait till 2020 in a few days. It's here and now. Say yes and join me on this mission. Join me on this walk that we will walk together today and forever. Let's pray.